Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionise the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. Have you ever caught yourself thinking, who am I to be doing this? Do you ever feel like a fraud? Think you're going to get caught out? Somebody's going to find you out? That's imposter syndrome. And today's guest on the Scale Her Up podcast is Claire Yosa, author of the book Ditching Imposter Syndrome, and she's going to help us understand and get rid of our imposter syndrome. Welcome Claire to Scale Her Up, the Female Entrepreneur's Show. Welcome Claire, really great to have you on the Scale Her Up podcast today. Yeah, do you want want to just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you got into business and then we'll talk a bit more about what you actually do and how you help. Brenda, thank you for inviting me. So, I've been running my business since 2003, which makes me feel really old now. (laughs) And um, I originally started out as a mechanical engineer. I've got a master's degree in mechanical engineering in German. I went to work in the automotive industry. I became one of the first people in Europe to qualify in Six Sigma and lead manufacturing. And I was always passionate about redesigning processes and making things as simple and as effective as they could be. So you got the result with minimal effort. And then after about 10 years, I realized actually what I really wanted to do was figure out how people tick, not just machines. So I studied psychology. I became head of market research at Dyson. And that's really where I discovered that passion for getting inside people's heads, understanding how they worked, and then being able to help them to create whatever it was they wanted to create in their life. So after a few years, I realized I couldn't make a big enough difference in someone else's business. I left to set up my own leadership development program because I had a lot of leadership experience and I was qualified in various training systems. And my very first client, executive coaching client, came to me with imposter syndrome. And I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. I recognized it in myself. I recognized it in my former colleagues. And it kind of snowballed from there. And 13 years on, I've reinvented myself numerous times, like when I had my children. And I had quite a long period where I didn't do much in-person work because I needed to be there for the kids. And yeah, now they're all at school full time. The last few years have allowed me to go back to doing loads more face-to-face work. I speak internationally about how to change the world by changing yourself. And then we had lockdown. But luckily, (laughs) I already had the systems there from my old work that was all online. So I was able to make that switch. Awesome. So you've you've come through a varied career then from probably a very male-dominated background in in engineering and then through the, the people development stuff then your own career, you know, as a your own business as an entrepreneur. Do you, do you think that that varied journey is, a, is beneficial? I think as an entrepreneur, being able to see what the opportunity is and how that lines up with what your particular genius is and not being afraid to shift direction if that's what the data and your gut are telling you to do is really important. And the reason I had such a varied career is I followed my passion. And when I found my passion waning, 
it was that deep breath moment of, okay, it's time to make the leap. It's time to shift, you know, leaving full-time employment on a very good job with a very good salary to go and run my own business is one of the craziest things I've ever done. But I very quickly realized I'd become unemployable. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't go back to working in somebody else's business and having them decide what my goals and objectives should be. I wanted that freedom. So I think it comes with a blend of passion and freedom. The engineering is hugely useful for me because it gives me a lot of grounded common sense, but I'm also a yoga and meditation teacher. So I, I'm able to demystify that ancient wisdom into practical actions people can take to create breakthroughs in just a few minutes rather than months. Great. I, I'm just going to go back to that jump, that leap of faith to going and being your own your own boss in your own business. What would you say to anyone that's sitting there just thinking about making that jump? <laughs> Don't do what I did. <laughs> do not sit there and go, OK, yeah, let's go and do this. Hand your notice in, work your notice and then go, OK, now what? Yeah, <laughs> is find a way you know, maybe if you've got a role where you can be up front and say, actually, I want to go and run my own business. It's completely unrelated to yours, so I don't need to do gardening leave. But could I maybe drop to four days a week and do that for a few months? Get your business plan together, get total clarity on who you serve and the difference you're there to make for them and why they would choose you. Start your marketing, start building that lead generation funnel before you leave the day job, if at all possible, even if it means you're doing your business on Saturdays. Yeah. So you ramp one down and ramp one up. What I did was that total leap of, oh, okay, what do I do this morning? Because the energy was so strong and because my day job was so full on, there was not a lot of other time. Though actually now I've had kids, I realize how much time I did have back then pre-children. But you know, we spend it differently. So yeah, that would be my biggest advice is get that clarity, do the groundwork, prove and test that your idea is going to work before you hand your notice in. And that doesn't have to be a huge amount of time, but do not jump ship and then end up looking around going, where is everybody and what do I do now? A great, great piece of advice. Although I suppose at the moment there are lots who are finding themselves without that that day job, you know, Absolutely. a lot of redundancies at the moment. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And actually when that happens, when someone's made redundant, one of the most important things you can do if you decide that running your own business is the way you want to go is exactly all of that. You just shorten the time it takes from being maybe yes. a few months to being a week or two. And the absolute key there, key there is to make sure that when you're starting your business, you're doing it from a place of strength and courage and not potentially the fear and the anxiety and the resentment at having lost your job, because otherwise you'll create the wrong kind of business. So it's so important if that happens to you to take even just a day out. You know, who am I? Who do I want to be? What could I do that people will value? And you line up with that version of you, letting go of the fears, the anger, the resentment, the frustration at however whatever has happened has happened so that your business has that positive grounded energy in it instead of that fear-based energy. Yeah, exactly. Being proactive rather than reactive to what's happened to you. Yeah. So, you know, great, great to get your, your story and business. And I'm sure as we're chatting through, we'll, we'll get a bit more, a bit more insight into Claire, the entrepreneur. But yeah, let's, let's talk about imposter syndrome. 
You said you recognised it in yourself when I heard you speak and I recognised it in myself and lots of lots of people that I, I speak to, I talk to a lot of business owners. So yeah, tell us what is imposter syndrome then? Well, that's actually a really good place to start and it's not in any way a stupid question if anybody out there is thinking that because we often get it confused with self-doubt. So imposter syndrome is the secret 3am fear that they, whoever they are, will find out we're not good enough even though there is plenty of external world evidence that we are. And it's different to self-doubt because self-doubt is about what we can and can't do. Imposter syndrome goes that layer deeper and it's about who we think we are. So I talk about the imposter syndrome gap and that is the gap between who you see yourself as being and who you think you need to be in order to achieve your dreams, so growing your business. And what we do to cover that gap is we build what I call the bridge of coping strategies. And these coping strategies, some of them are useful, some of them are more self-sabotaging, but we build that bridge. And as we take those steps over the bridge, it can feel pretty rickety. If we look down, the imposter syndrome gap can feel like a ravine. It can feel scary. We force ourselves to keep going. And actually the healthier way to do it is to close the gap is to do that deeper work, to get out of our own way so that there is no gap anymore between who we see ourselves as being and who we've allowed ourselves to become, who we think we need to be to do or achieve something. And I often talk about imposter syndrome being the secret fear of others judging us the way we judge ourselves. So the more we can clear out the stuff that makes us judge ourselves so that we don't judge ourselves, we evaluate our performance up at, you know, the confidence, self-doubt, capabilities level, but we don't make it personal. So say a client pitch doesn't go as well as we like, instead of beating ourselves up going, oh, I am so awful at pitching, I shouldn't be doing this, we look factually and calmly at, okay, where did it go wrong? Okay, it's because I missed that bit out of the proposal. Great, I'll fix that next time. And then the inner drama queen doesn't come out to play. We don't beat ourselves up and we don't self-sabotage. So how, how on earth can we shut up that drama queen? <laughs> so that's self-talk um, and it's a habit. So it's wired in our neural pathways. And I talk about um, neural pathways and muddy boots. So the way these thoughts get ingrained and inner drama queen thoughts have got that extra burst of energy with them so they get ingrained quite quickly and quite deeply, is if you think a thought once, it's like walking through a field and imagine that a field is full of hay or grass. And if you're vertically challenged like me, it's probably at least up to your waist. And if you walk through it once, by the next day, that's sprung back up and there's no sign you were there. If you walk through it 20 times a day, soon enough, you'll wear a path. If you walk through it with muddy boots on a rainy day, stomping, and you do that 20 times a day for a week, then the footpath will be pretty much permanent through that field. And it's the same with our thoughts. When we think a thought, two synapses fire off and there's a reaction between them. And if we put enough energy behind that thought, like a strong emotion, then they actually wire together and they become like an autopilot highway in the brain. So a certain trigger fires off a whole series of thoughts. That creates chemical reactions in the body, usually the stress response and good old adrenaline and cortisol. That creates our experience of emotions because they're chemical reactions in the body. And then that feeds more thoughts. And this is how the inner drama queen comes in. The more emotion that we put into that next thought, the more likely it is to go from a simple, okay, I forgot to put that in the proposal, 
through to who do you think you are giving that proposal to that client? Who do you think you are running a business? So when you understand that, having those thoughts come up is something that's very, very hard to control. But what you can do is retrain yourself one thought at a time to be able to choose which thoughts to feed. So that even if an imposter syndrome thought comes up, like what if they find out they made a mistake choosing me because I'm not good enough, you can press pause and ask yourself, actually, is that really true? Or is that just imposter syndrome speaking? What do I want instead? Okay, what is the first action I can take towards that? Okay, so yeah, it's, it's about re, rewiring our brain effectively. I think I've found that the voice, that voice that's in our head, sometimes it's there, it's been there for so long that we don't even recognise it as being negative messages that we're giving ourselves. Would you, would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And most of us are not consciously aware of our thoughts until they start screaming at us or at three o'clock in the morning with that secret self-talk that we don't want anyone else hearing. So what I do is I teach people, and I talk about this in Ditching Imposter Syndrome, I teach people to look for what I call the flinch factor. So you're thinking about doing something and something in your body tightens and constricts, often in the belly area or the jaw or around the eyes or the shoulders. When you spot that tension reaction, that's when it's time to pay attention to your thoughts because it's much easier to notice tension in the body than what's going on in our self-talk because we drown it out, we keep busy, we multi-screen, we have music or radio or TV on in the background the whole time, even when we're working. Because if we go into that space of silence, we're absolutely terrified that then we'll actually have to listen to those thoughts because we think we've got no control over them. But there's an ABC process that I know you and I discussed before the interview, Brenda, that actually I'd like to gift everybody on this interview because it's easy for me to say, okay, choose which thoughts to feed. But actually there's a process I teach that means you can do that and turn, out, turn a negative thought around in under 60 seconds. So would it be all right to talk about that, Brenda? That would be fantastic, yes. So the ABC process, and even people who are on my advanced programmes like Stepping Up to Lead come back to this time and time again because it's so simple. Accept, breathe, choose. So accept, okay, that was a beating myself up thought. That was an imposter syndrome thought. The reason it's so important to accept it is if we try and push that thought away, we're giving it all of our attention it's going to dig its heels in and suddenly it triggers the inner drama queen. Accept is that pause, that moment of, okay, that is a thought. Breathe, there's a certain set of breathing techniques, just belly breathing and some deep sighing that can reset that nervous system stress response. So we talked about how the thought fires off the biochemical reactions in the body and the breathing is a way to bring those back down to neutral. And then choose is about consciously choosing a thought that feels more positive or more empowering. And if you play with this, and when you get to the choose, you actually feel that thought as well as thinking it, it's the equivalent of the muddy boots in that rainy field. And what you're then doing is creating new neural pathways that are positive, encouraging, and reinforcing that overwrite the old neural pathways of beating ourselves up. And it's a very simple process, but, I've got a video series that I'm gifting you for listening today at claireyosa.com forward slash scale her up. And it's three short videos that teach you how to do that process, guide you through, and there's an MP3 and a cheat sheet you can download so that you can go and play with it and it's with you anytime you want. 
Wow, thank you very much for sharing that with the listeners. That's yeah, very, very generous of you. So imposter syndromes, when it's when it's holding people back, yeah, how, how's that manifesting? What, what do you see with the people that you work with? So if I'm looking at entrepreneurs, people running their own businesses, I ran a landmark research study last year. It was the first large-scale study of its kind in the UK on imposter syndrome. And we found that of those who were struggling with it daily or regularly, and that was in the past year alone. So that's pretty often, yeah? In the entrepreneur world, it was really high. So just have a, have a thought for a moment about what that figure might have been. And the general population, for female respondents, it was 52% had struggled with imposter syndrome daily or regularly in the past year. For male respondents, it was 49%, but they handle it very differently. For the entrepreneur population, it was 82%. So it's incredibly common. And the kind of things that we do, it's discounting our prices without being asked, not charging what our results are worth, not returning that call until just too late, seeing an opportunity for PR and talking ourselves out of it, over giving and not having great boundaries, giving too much away for free, playing small, not really standing in our genius. Another super common one that I see every day is not having a clear target audience. So not niching, trying to be everything to everyone in order to cover those bases and not singing about what we can do and the difference that we can make and even changing who we're showing up as being so that we feel that we fit in and be accepted rather than owning who we really are and making the difference that we are here to make in the world. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating? In, in a lot of these interviews that I'm doing, I, I talk, talk to female entrepreneurs and they talk about the, the journey that they've been on and they get to a point where suddenly they realise that the other business people around them are just the same as them. That comes from the imposter syndrome, doesn't it? Where they, they don't realise that they're as good as everyone else. It can be that we don't think we're as good as everyone else. Yeah. It, it can be also that we overlook what we do brilliantly and assume that everybody else can do it. So I had an example of this last week. I gave um, a keynote at a major corporate conference for 1,200 people, obviously at the moment online. And it was, it was a challenging keynote because they were using a software system that meant I couldn't see the audience and I couldn't see the chat. So <laughs> interaction, I had to work extra hard. I had to pretend I was on radio. And despite that, people absolutely loved it and described it as brilliant. And my immediate response was, I didn't even do what I would normally have done if I'd actually had access to being able to see faces, you know, on the screen or see the chat. But they still loved it because we set ourselves very high standards. And even if we reach them, we then write it off as fluke or we go for the other thing, which is we have, I know, 20 other entrepreneurs who can do this. Yeah, we don't realize actually that what we do is different and special. And it's very easy. Comparisonitis is another huge issue for entrepreneurs and it's a major trigger of imposter syndrome. Looking at other people on social media and it's not just the highlight reel we're seeing, it's the algorithm's curated version of the highlight reel. So we're seeing what the algorithm has decided is the best of the best and we're comparing our rainy day and finding ourselves lacking and often wanting to give up. Yeah, great that you mentioned that because my next question was going to be around uh, making comparisons with other people and, and what other people are putting out there. So, yeah. It's just it's Just, just <laughs> So there's, there are two things that are likely to happen if we look at what other people are putting out there. 
one comparisonitis where we might even feel jealous and we're certainly likely to feel like we're not good enough because we don't necessarily see our own gifts or the other side is we actually act even subconsciously you risk copying because you go they've got loads of engagement with that and i get this so much it drives me crazy on linkedin is i'll put out a post and then suddenly I'll find another coach has put out a post that's almost identical the next day and then another one and another one. And they might phrase it slightly differently, but it's like, hmm, yeah, this is actually quite edgy stuff. And I was talking about it yesterday, so I know you saw my post. And it doesn't mean they're copying me. It just means at some level it knocked them out of their groove and into mine because they compared themselves and went, that's a really good topic to talk about. And it's really dangerous for us if we're feeling a little bit wobbly you know the temptation to change how we're showing up change who we are change what we're doing change who we're serving in order to think you know we're thinking well that person's obviously doing well it's a really dangerous thing to be doing so actually i recommend the blinkered approach is imagine that you are a horse with blinkers on they're not there to hurt the horse they're there to stop the horse feeling scared and distracted by everything that's going around it and the only feedback you should be listening to is from your clients yeah not even necessarily from people who don't work with you because if they weren't your ideal client they're going to give you feedback that knocks you off kilter so blinkered and if comparisonitis is an issue for you doing as little as you can on social media outside of your own space and focusing on what do i do best and doing that well i love that I love the blinkers, but I will be careful not not to use that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that bit you can do because I've, you know, and it's <laughs> it's very much not being precious about things, you know, but it is so frustrating and you can see it happening with other yes. people as well. If somebody puts a great post out there and suddenly there's a rash of them a day later. And I don't think these people are out there intentionally copying. I think they're just being influenced a bit too much because maybe they're not feeling strong enough in their own message. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really valuable. The only feedback you need is from your clients. Yeah, they're very powerful. So, Claire, what, what would you advise to someone who's listening to this podcast going, oh, that's me, that's me, that's something's holding me back and it's me? Okay, so my, my, my favourite, favourite unlocking question is think about something you want to achieve and make it something specific rather than I want to grow my business. So think about one specific target where as you're thinking about it, maybe it's triggering the flinch factor. Is that tension inside that contracting the rolled shoulders, the tightened jaw, the belly tension. And just finish this sentence with five to seven answers. I can't do that because I can't do that because the reason you want five to seven answers is the first two or three, they'll be the top of mind stuff. You want to get below the surface. By the time you get to answers five, six and seven, these are the deeper blocks that are holding you back. And when you clear those out, you set yourself free to thrive. You don't have to flinch anymore when you think about that project. You will step into it with all of who you really are and get to make an even bigger difference. But if we don't clear that stuff out, it creates that imposter syndrome gap, the ravine, and you're going to need to strengthen your bridge of coping strategy so you can walk over the top. So this is why whenever I work with people, we get to that deeper stuff. Let that go. Clear that out. And then the imposter syndrome gap closes and you don't have to do that stuff anymore. Very powerful. That's great. So the Skill Her Up 
podcast is, as you know, it's created because not enough women are starting their own businesses. You know, only one in three entrepreneurs in the UK are female and we're males are five times more likely to scale their business up to over a million than than women are. So as a as a woman in business with a toolkit that can really help, you know, just like your take on, on what we can do to make a difference. The first thing is we need to get out of our own way. So when I said that men and women handle imposter syndrome differently, what the research showed is men are much more likely to push it down and push on through. And they will just take the action scared and they will just do it. And they strip out the emotions and they push through. And the challenge with that is it does tend to lead to, down the road, mental health, anxiety issues. And men were five times more likely than women, according to the research, to turn to alcohol, medication and drugs to handle the anxiety of imposter syndrome. With women, we tend to feel the emotions more. We tend to hold back until we feel ready. And we think ready means we have to take every single box and we're less likely to take that action. So we need to clear out the blocks inside that meant we've created subconscious glass ceilings that we've now need to break through. Clearing out those blocks, the glass ceiling goes. But the other thing that I've seen so often over the last 17 years is as women, we do it all. Yeah, <laughs> luckily it's yeah. changing. And I really hope that my son's generation is gonna make a huge difference on this. But we run the business, we do the housework, we're responsible for the communications with the school. We're the ones that make sure the bills have been paid a lot of the time. We're the ones that check that little Freddie's got his packed lunch and that his school uniform looks like it's been washed in the last couple of weeks. So we're used to doing it all ourselves. And we then take that into our business. So the other key difference I've seen is that male entrepreneurs who scale, delegate. Women who try to scale, don't because we think we've got to do it all ourselves and we're already juggling everything. So actually we need to delegate more than the guys. So that is my biggest recommendation is if you're going to scale, hopefully you've already got a business that you know works, you've proved and proven your business model, you know how to get clients and it's simply a case of taking that to the next level. The biggest thing you can do is start to take you out of the business. So you can be the strategic CEO with a team around you that does the doing better than you could. Yeah. Wow. I wish I could do that in my house as well. <laughs> Brilliant. In in terms of in terms of your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, what what's been the pivotal moment for you? <clears throat> so a couple of years ago I repeated a pattern I'd done once before where I paid an awful lot to a business mentor and this person basically tried to mold me into who they thought I should be. And what mattered most to me in my business disappeared. They convinced me to change my audience. They convinced me to change my offerings. And effectively, I had to become a different version of me. It was almost putting on a persona and I didn't enjoy it. And funnily enough, it didn't work. <laughs> it absolutely bombed my business. And it wasn't even really till I was ready to stop working with that person that I realized that was what was been happening. And it happened to me before, a few years before that. So I think the biggest message is be who you are. Build the business that perfectly fits the working day that you would love. Because if you wake up in the morning and you're dreading going to work in your business, you haven't bred a business, you've bred a monster. And one of the reasons we breed a monster is we don't delegate. The other reason is if that business isn't lined up with who we really are and the difference that we are passionate about making. So 
you know, I wish I had a time machine because then I would go back and say, no, I'm not making those changes. But it taught me so much was to trust my instincts. And it's funny because the year after I worked with this person, I flipped it around, did what I wanted to do, put in the strategies I thought would work. And within a month, my business was starting to thrive again. Wow. Yeah, that re- really good insight there. And yeah, I think there are probably quite a few of us in business who are listening to what others tell us and thinking that we should be, that's what we should be doing rather than what we actually want to be doing. So yeah. Exactly. And I think a great mentor and a great business coach can be transformational. But if they even start to hint that you should change how you show up and what you're doing and who you're being in order to fit their model, or what they think is right for you, ask your body. Your gut always holds the answer. Does this feel right to me? And if your gut says no, which is like attention, just check in. It's like, okay, is this because I'm secretly scared? Or is it actually because this isn't lined up with me? And do not be afraid to say no. And I guess having got the imposter syndrome out of the way, that's easier to do. Yeah, the, the more we're confident in our own skin, yeah, comfortable with who we are, the less we are doubting ourselves and beating ourselves up, the more that we'll start to trust our own judgment. Yeah. And it really is about what brings me joy. Yeah. And and what difference can I make with my business? It doesn't matter whether you're selling widgets or services or whatever. What is it that would excite me in my business? How can I make that happen? Because it's unlikely that you will ever find a niche that's too small to grow a thriving business. So start that, go the whole inch wide, mile deep, it will expand, but it's got to be in alignment with who you really are. And the more you've cleared out imposter syndrome, the more that version of you is the one that's gonna be showing up day to day in your business, making that bigger difference. That's great. Really, really good advice for, for everyone, Claire. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, do you do you have any any other tips that you would give to female entrepreneurs at the moment? My biggest tip for female entrepreneurs at the moment would be the world really needs you. Okay, and and whether you can spare five hours a week or fifty hours a week to grow a business, it doesn't matter. Taking inspired action, the kinds of actions that create breakthroughs, the kind of actions that probably scare us a little bit, just do it. Yeah, come up with your brilliant idea, test it out, and then take action. Don't worry about what other people will think because the only opinions that matter, as we've already said, are those of your dream customers. Perfect. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Scale Her Up podcast and I will share the details of the the videos that you've kindly shared with the listeners. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brenda. Thanks for listening to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur's show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcasts. Or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female. And men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it and we're going to make a massive difference.